Before we get started, I have an important message. If you're on Medicare or about to be, you don't want to go it alone. And you don't want to just call the first guy who sends you a postcard. My husband did that, and he wound up with some bad advice that costs us a penalty each month that will never go away. So what can you do? Contact one of our member experts by going to certifiedmedicareagents.com and searching your state for an agent. You'll be able to look through our member agents and read about them. Then you can reach out to the agent or broker you select directly through the site. Now, one thing you should know is other sites who do this sell your information to 15 or more agents so you can get hundreds of unwanted phone calls. Not so with CertifiedMedicareAgents.com. You'll only be contacted by one agent, and if there is a problem, I may personally reach out to you, but generally you will only hear from the one agent you select. So head on over there right now before you forget and find a qualified and certified agent that can help you today. Now, let's start our program. Today we speak with Dr. Marilyn Stoner, who has been working with seniors and in the senior care industry since 1998. Her grandparents owned a funeral home, and so she's also familiar with death. She's a professor now and has discovered something called the Silver Hour, which is the 30 minutes before and after death. She wants to help hospital workers, caregivers, EMTs, and others learn the best way to help people who are dying and also their family members with that Silver Hour so that people can have some control and reassurance over the process, which we will all face someday. I know that this is a subject that's unpleasant for some of us. Me too. But Dr. Stoner has a very calming essence about her, and I thought she'd make a great guest for the show. Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. Hi, this is Kathy, founder of Rock Your Retirement. I started this show because many baby boomers think that retirement is all about money, and it's not. Think about it. It's very difficult to go from spending 2,000 or more hours every year working to doing nothing, going to zero. For the first six months, it's fun because you're traveling, you're tying up loose ends, maybe cleaning out the garage. But what happens after six months? Many times you hit a wall. Depression sets in. Sometimes people even get divorced. We want to help prevent that, and so that's why I started this show. Our guest for today is Dr. Marilyn Stoner. She believes that students can do much more than we're asking of them. They have to be shown how to start their own professional career while still being a student. Undergraduate students who are in her classes get published. They create professional posters and much more. The key to success is to focus, 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 and Marilyn helps make that process transparent to them. She is a professor at California State University, San Bernardino, and before that, she was on faculty at CSU Fullerton. She was also the vice president for Ramona Home Care and Hospice in Hemet, California. Her passion is about end-of-life care, and you can find more information about her passion at www dot silverhour dot info. 
Marilyn, what made you decide to start the website silverhour.info? Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Kathy. And I've been doing end-of-life care since I cared for my grandmother in 1988, which is the first home death I experienced uh, long before there was a, a home care system. I'd been a critical care nurse before. And over time, I thought that it would be very helpful for patients, families, and caregivers to understand more about death, to deconstruct it a little bit, perhaps not be afraid of it, um, but understand what to expect. So I have this idea of the silver hour, which is the 30 minutes before and after death. So tell me about that. Tell me what what is so important about that 30 minutes before and after? A lot of times we, we think, uh, especially as we retire, we think of death as being a long, involved process. And it just is not like that so much anymore. One of the things I've seen change in my uh, many decades as a nurse is that people did used to decline kind of slowly, but especially a lot of cancer patients will live much longer which is terrific than they expected. And their decline at the end might be shorter than what it used to be. So there also are people who are in an accident or myself, a cyclist, could have a, a crisis of some kind. So what I wanted to do is to develop a unified vision of what the last moments of life and the first moments of death are so that every caregiver knows what to do. So if you need CPR, we know that you start out with, are you okay? Call 911 and then you start CPR. That's my vision of the silver hour uh, when we know that death is moments away uh, when we can know it, which is most of the time. And then we can help people prepare. What would that process be? Well, a typical, uh, most people in the United States die in a acute care facility or a long-term care facility. And cancer is uh, one of the most common causes of death, but heart disease is actually the most common disease in the country. So as someone approaches the last moments of their life, they can uh, lose consciousness, they can have changes in their body temperature, lots of breathing changes. So using the silver hour as a model in the first uh, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, we want to make sure the family knows that death is imminent. If the patient's still talking, we can reassure them that we'll be there with them. If they're not talking, we're still verbally reassuring them. And so we have those first 20 minutes where we're going to set the room wherever that patient is, even if it's a car accident at the side of the road, I give a lot of classes to paramedics about what they can do when they know death of somebody who's been in an accident is imminent. So we are present for them. We're talking to them. We're calling them by name. And then the next stage of the silver hour is when the person is declared dead. And many people have really strong preferences for what they want at the time that they're declared dead. Uh, some religions uh, want a particular position of the body. Others want uh, a specific group to wash the body, prepare for the body. People have prayers that they want said. They may want quiet. They want may want music played. I mean, there's a, just an endless variety of things that people want. And then the last part of the silver hour is the time immediately after death has occurred. We call it the postmortem phase. And that's when 
the family who's there begins their life as grieving relatives or relatives of this person who's died and the person um, is transported to wherever their final um, services are going to be, which more and more is going to be transported to their home for a home funeral or a, a natural funeral of some kind. So we have markers that we want at each part of this uh, hour so that people are totally clear what's going on, no surprises, as much as we can help people anticipate. Wow, I have never heard of this Silver Hour before. Mm -hmm. Is this something that you created and I, you're... I did create it and uh, I've published it in academic journals and it's used all over the world. And I have a, a group of, uh, a lot of them are educators where we're teaching all different types of healthcare professionals what these specific things that patients have said and the research they want, or mainly their caregivers that they want at the moment of death. So it's you, you can go, you know, it's in Canada and England, it's in Saudi Arabia, a very interesting group of Canadian educators took it there. It's fascinating feedback from them. Uh, I have colleagues in Scandinavia who use it and it, it's a totally meant to be, um, a shell that anybody can adapt however they want. Everything on the website is free. Uh, you can, the Silver Hour is trademarked, but anything you want, uh, all of my teaching tools are free. If there's something there that uh, I, I've listened to all your podcasts, they're absolutely fabulous, Kathy. You have? I have. Oh, thank you. And the last <laughs> podcast of Decluttering the Home. Oh my gosh, that was so good. Those are my people. <laughs> <laughs> well, just so you know, Marilyn, I didn't tell you this in the pre-interview notes, but my interviews are all pre-recorded. So it could, by the time yours airs, it could be October, November, December. Yeah, I don't no know problem. when yours will. <laughs> yeah, no problem. But I loved that podcast. I sent it to all my friends. Oh, you <laughs> have aging parents. Uh, so <laughs> at any rate, um, uh, so going back to the silver hour then, it's it's just meant to be uh, this flexible structure that if you're responsible for caring for people who are dying in an assisted living facility or in a group home, or like I said, paramedics, there's a link to an article I wrote for paramedics, what to do in the silver hour. Um, they don't receive any education at all in talking to people who are dying or the family members of someone who's dead. So that was even kind of surprising to me since that's a big part of their job. Uh, and, I'll tell you how I came across this idea. Uh, I grew up listening to my Italian grandmother and grandfather talk about their life in the funeral home industry. And they were from Rhode Island and they lived above the funeral home, although I ne did not put two and two together till I was many years older. And so I listened to their stories of what it was like with funerals and that sort of thing. And I worked in hospice. You mentioned I was in Hemet. I've been, I still work in hospice. And one particularly frustrating weekend, I was really, really frustrated. And I thought, some of the patients' families weren't very happy with the care or they, they weren't mad or anything, but they seemed unsatisfied. It didn't seem to meet their needs. And I was just thinking that we have the golden hour in healthcare and the golden hour is a long-standing idea that if you have a critical incident 
and you get to the hospital as quickly as you can, you have a greater sense of survival. And there's certain standards within the golden hour. And again, it's just like CPR. Something happens, everybody knows what to do. So I was thinking that's what we need at death. So the golden hour is already taken. So it has to be the silver hour then. And so since then, I've been working on that idea of we see a death is imminent and every the caregivers uh, know exactly what to do. And we're helping the family understand what's going on and the patient as well. You know, this is so new to me. And I have been in the senior industry for many years. And I'm so glad that we found you because this information, although there's probably people who are going to be feel uncomfortable listening to this podcast, but it's so needed. You know, this information is so needed. What do you do when somebody is passing on? And I work with lots of people in the senior community industry, and I bet many of them have never heard your heard your information. So I'm hoping that this podcast will disseminate more of of what you do out to more people. I I hope so too, especially in California, where in June, the medical aid in dying um, is legal. And that was a big, big change in California, where now people can actually schedule their death. Uh, They can say, you know, as Brittany Maynard did, this is the day I, I'm done, the suffering is enough. And so they're actually able to completely script their end of life. They'll have the medication, which works in just a very few moments. They can choose where they're going to die most of the time, not 100%. Who's going to be there? What What's going to happen? They're fully participating partners uh, because they have to be uh, healthy enough to give their medication themselves. Uh, right. So... That is, uh, I think, really a wonderful thing that's happening in California. Wow. So you must work a lot with hospice. Yes. Uh huh. And so people who work in hospice are used to people passing away. People listening to this podcast are probably not used to people Mm -hmm. passing away. You know, maybe they've never had a loved one pass. So what can somebody expect when they know that they have a sick loved one and that person is probably going to pass away within the next few months. What, what advice would you give them? What, what to expect? I think that the first thing someone should do when you get the information that usually your parents um, or could be a sibling if we're older or uh, whoever is going to die or at some time in the future, because we don't really know. We're terrible in healthcare about predicting how long people have to live. Uh, so, but you have, if you get some warning, that is really a gift because heart disease is the number one killer and half of the people who have heart disease drop dead. So there's no warning, no nothing. You get a call that somebody you love has died. So if you are in the category where you have some kind of warning that is really precious time and a gift. So to the extent that you can, it's good to have conversations about end of life and whenever that's most appropriate. Now in the beginning, uh, a lot of adult children want to immediately talk to their parents about everything. 
having to do with their end of life. And I, as I've gotten older, I think it's easier to go lightly because when you have, when you receive a terminal diagnosis, you need some time. To, right, you're in shock. You know, like, you're, wow. you're, you need to be supported. You need to be listened to. If you need to be alone, your adult children need to honor that so that you get a few minutes, hours, days, depending on your condition to get your head around what's happening to you. And then um, have conversations as you're able to. There's more and more uh, midwives of death, death doulas, like we have midwives of birth that can come in and help that will help plan and care for people. Some of them are nurses, some of them are not. People can start decluttering their house. If nobody is, if people have not listened to the last podcast episode, <laughs> wow, that is such a symbolic act to declutter your house. A lot of times you don't even have to have a direct conversation with somebody who's dying. If people feel uncomfortable, you can just a lot of people who are dying long to do one last noble deed and that last noble deed they love to do is give away their precious belongings so that the people that they love, they can see them receive these gifts while they're still alive. Uh, what a gift. So whatever, whatever entry way into the discussion that is best for some, it might be a religious uh, conversation. Uh, it might be okay. What, what's on your bucket list to do. Let's go do that. Uh, it may be a, a trip, you know, traveling around. It may, even for some people, uh, you had podcasts about people taking up new activities that they've always wanted to do. Uh, and that's the vehicle for them talking about death. Uh, it doesn't have to be a sit down, look me in the eye. Okay. Let's go over the signs and symptoms of death. It can be a more gradual process. Or, or if you know you're about to pass, you could, go on a cruise with your whole family and let them know on the cruise. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Take everybody, you know, and Uh have it be a celebration and tell them, you know, my husband and I are not ill. We're not Uh sick, but we both have healthcare powers of attorney and directives. And I just went to a workshop a few weeks ago and found out that I got this little booklet that is much more detailed than our healthcare power of attorney, you know, than our, our directive. And so we're going to go through and we're going to say, you know, at what point do we or don't we want a feeding tube and that kind of thing yes. that I don't think we really discussed in our original directive. I think that these things should be done before your pronounced end of life. And can your silver hour be used in conjunction with that healthcare power of attorney and directive? Yes. If, if somebody, um, and if it weren't for lawyers and estate planners, we wouldn't have very many of these advanced directives done. Uh, there's still the majority of the population doesn't have them. So we have advanced directives that you and I have done that we do way in advance of our death and uh, give very general directions like a feeding tube, like a, a breathing tube. Uh, but we're giving it without any real knowledge of what the end of life uh, mechanism might be. So now we have oh, what a gift. Yes. What a gift that is. It so is. That people don't have to guess. It is you know? so unbelievably a, a wonderful gift. I think people, everybody over the age of 18 should have one. Oh, I, I can't 
I just agree with that so much. We could talk about horror stories of not having them <laughs> for young people. Should, uh, should be your 18th birthday. Yes. That's the uh-huh. first thing you do. You, yes. you sign up for the draft yes. and you or whatever and, and you yeah. fill and, out your health care directory. And at the party, just before you blow out the candles, everybody gets a new one to update, you know, the old one. <laughs> so <laughs> good idea. <laughs> yeah. But for people who, who are ill, who are moving towards um, with a significant disease, we have PULTS now, which is Physicians' Orders for Life-Sustaining uh, Treatment. And is that only in California? It's, I'm sorry. It's all over the country. And it is. They're state forms, so you could just go to polst.org and pick the form for your state. And that one's much more specific. It's done with your physician where an advanced directive isn't done with a physician. And in the PULTS, you're, you're going to talk more about the specifics of what you want. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because I thought my advanced health, and the funny thing is I I go to these different meetings and they always talk about the Pulse and I thought, well, I don't need that because I have an advanced health care directive. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's pretty vague. And when we get to that stage where we do have a life limiting condition, hopefully somebody's going to ask us about a Pulse. Uh, they're, they're, the forms are freely available on the web, and uh, it is a signed physician's order, so you have to have a conversation with your physician. So the physician is now reimbursed from Medicare for having that conversation with you. So the system's really maturing when it comes to providing a patient-centered best death possible, uh, much more so than years ago. Well, so does that mean that I... Because I'm not 65 yet, I I can't do a pulse. You're not ill, so you wouldn't you would you don't have a life limiting condition. Oh, okay. So, so a pulse is only for somebody who's already ill. Yeah. Uh-huh. So my husband and I, we've done what we need to do, yeah. and we'll just update our advanced healthcare to be a little bit more specific. Yeah. The only thing I would recommend um, is. And I did this for my dad. There's six kids in my family, and I do this for everyone. Sometime on a nice day, everybody's relaxed. You and your husband get your mobile phone out and do a short little video about whatever it is you want to say. I love you. I'm good with no feeding. I'm not afraid to die. Or I am afraid to die and I'm counting on your support. Or we've got an advanced directive. I expect you to go buy it. Whatever it is you want to say, just do a little video of that. Post it on Facebook, a private message on Facebook, or send it an email to the people that you think are likely to be there, and it will save so much angst between the children because they hear your voice, see your face saying, I've got this form. I want you to go buy it. I love you. It's all good. We're, we're all going to die. Whatever your philosophy is, it's, it's the most valuable thing that people yeah, do. Be- because people, even with advanced healthcare directives, they don't have to be followed. And, um, well, they you know, I well, was... unfortunately, they aren't followed. <laughs> I mean, the legal mandate is there. And but if you have in my again, in my family with six children, if there's any kind of disagreement among the children, the healthcare workers are going to go by more treatment rather than less treatment. Right. And and if anybody hasn't seen, I just saw the movie Being Human. And I'm, I don't know if you've seen not that yet, movie or no. not. I saw it at, a, at an event that I went to. I was representing 
the San Diego Caregivers Coalition. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was just going to sit there with my computer and do work while the event was going on because I don't deal with hospice in my real job. I'm not going to say what my real job is because that's not what this podcast is about. But I figured, well, I'll just sit there and hand out flyers and I'll do work. And I forgot my computer. So I watched the video and what a powerful video. Now, the name of the video, for those of you who don't know, is called Being Human. There's also a book, and it was written and created by a doctor who realized that doctors tend to want to prolong life, even when there is no hope. And they'll, they'll, give you, they'll try to give you hope. Because that's just natural. That's, that's human to try to give somebody hope. And so what happens is it prolongs people's lives not in a good way, in a way where they're in pain or they're suffering and they're really not going to get better. I highly recommend this. Apparently, it's available for free. Um, it's a PBS. And so if you haven't watched it, highly recommend seeing that movie. Um, with your friends or I don't know if you call it a movie, but mm-hmm. I think it was about an hour, hour and a half long. But yeah, that talks about end of life issues and how doctors tend to want to give hope when really there isn't any. We, we don't have that unified language about death. And so you take a term like hope and I would say there's so much hope in a peaceful death, uh, hope that the person can make the transition that they've imagined that they would make, that their children will be good without them. A lot of patients I've had have been so worried that they'll be forgotten. And so the idea of reinforcing the legacy that they bring is a very hopeful thing to the individual, that they're not just going to evaporate when they die, uh, from our minds, I'm saying. And uh, there, there's not that kind of language. And many physicians, the research is really clear. Physicians are ordering treatment for patients that they would not want themselves if they were in the same condition. Nurses are participating in that care. They would not want it themselves if they were in the patient's place. So this is really a serious issue. And because that moment of death, in my mind, is a very, very important moment, equal to the moment of birth, if we can just think a little bit about it, maybe even who you don't want in the room, because it can get really crazy at the last <laughs> moment of death. Um, any kind of vision that you have of, you know, lots of people. I, I just think I'm half retired myself. My husband's totally retired. I so look forward to it. And I just want to do what I want to do. <laughs> And it seems like as you get older, you get more and more freedom. And it's just so great uh, when you're not working and raising a family and all that sort of thing. So a lot of people now like to do pretty crazy things in their last moments of death. They dress up in costumes. They put on makeup. They uh, (laughs) one of my favorite ones, the the fellow made his money in an ice cream parlor. So he had an ice cream truck right there and everybody was coming (laughs) to see him. Got an ice cream cone. Now that's my kind of guy. 
Yeah, that that's an incentive to come visit yes, you. Yes, it is. <laughs> Free ice uh-huh. cream. <laughs> and, uh, you know, kind of got everybody's mind off of, you know, that he was about to give his last breath. And it was cheerful and it was really personally meaningful to him. And he didn't have an idea that people would forget him because everybody would remember the ice cream social silver hour death moment. Wow. That's really, yes. that's that's really unique. I, I never would have thought of doing something like that. So do you think that people that have been healthy throughout their lives have a better death experience? Or do you think people who have been maybe spiritual throughout their lives have a better, is there anything that you can pinpoint in your experience that helps people have their own better death experience, not the families, Uh the families, the the families are going to do what the families do, right? But you as an individual, like, let's say I found out tomorrow that I had six months to live. What could I have been doing in my life that would give me a better silver Uh hour? Well, I think um, a lot of people ask me, about the religious question. And one time I tried to figure out how many deaths I'd been at in my, you know, almost 30 years in hospice. And and frankly, it got so depressing to think of what that number might be. I gave up trying to figure out what it was. But people will say, do people find God? Do they lose God? What? Because that's the most common area. And I would say just looking out over the years, as many people find God as lose God. And uh, of course, religion is very, very important to many people. And it does provide a great source of comfort to people. But people have interesting changes in their ideas as death becomes very close. But I do think people who have been talking to other people and have created an environment wherever that environment is, a nursing home, their own home, uh, an ICU bed, an emergency room, where they're able to connect with the people around them, that's 50%, and the people around them listen and create that peaceful space, those people will have a much more peaceful death. So it's really more about your social life than anything else. I think it's, yeah, it's the environment in your own mind, in your own heart, and then the extent to which you're able to reassure so many times the people who are dying are the ones doing the reassuring to the ones who are living, uh, you know, that they'll be okay. And that creates that peaceful environment. Uh, And there's a lot of things that happen towards the end of life. People want to reconnect with people that they haven't connected with in a long time. And as a hospice nurse, for instance, you may be the one who's going to try to call. Uh, You may even do this in your other job where you're going to call a a sibling that the person hasn't spoken to in 20 or 30 years and try to make a connection. And that is equally as disruptive as it is uh, rewarding. So the fewer surprises at the very end, the better the death is. Right. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. (laughs) Because if you haven't seen somebody in a long time, you really don't know the person like you think you do because they've had so many changes in their lives. 
And it, so, it, I, I have my students uh, and clinicians when I do a class, a patient's dying, they're maybe going to die during the night, they've asked you to call their um, brother that's also old, they haven't spoken to him in 35 years, you call the brother, and the brother says, I don't want anything to do with him. Oh, no. Now, yeah. what's your job going back to that patient who's about to die? What is the best intervention for that? So, I don't know. I think I would say I couldn't reach him. Yes. Well, uh, so, what I call a therapeutic lie, a lie that doesn't hurt anybody, is definitely in order. So I, I offer that um, kind of my line is I spoke to your brother. Uh, he wants you to know that um, we spoke and often not so nice is what he wants him to know, but he wants you to know that he spoke, that he's thinking about you. And now he's really thinking about you that we made the call, but he's not able to come right now. Oh, <laughs> see, you're a lot. You, see, you're a therapist. Yeah. And I, I would just say, I couldn't reach him. I don't know where he is. Yeah. But then <laughs> the problem is they're going to keep asking you about it. Oh, <laughs> so I, I like to have open it up and put it to rest all in the same conversation because that's why you're the expert and I'm not <laughs> because moments are ticking away and we can't be spending all of our time on this brother that we know now is, is never coming. Yeah, he's out of the picture. So um, that's kind of an idea also of having that understanding of the silver hour and the clock is ticking that you want to prioritize, pick the kinds of things you really get deeply involved in and exclude other things that won't be as productive. Okay, well, that makes total sense. Now, we're, um, I want to interview you again after you retire because you are a very interesting woman and we have not been able to get into some of the things that you do. So let me know when you retire and okay. we'll definitely do this again because it sounds like, you know, it may be a few years, it may be whenever, but definitely please keep in touch. But there's, if you've, li you've listened to my interview, so you know that there's always two things I like to ask. And the first one is, what do you think people should know before they retire? Now, I know that you're not retired yet, but didn't you say your husband is? Yeah, and I'm half retired. And you're half, yes, but, uh -huh. you know. Yeah. So what is like the one thing that you think people should know about before they retire? It just occurred to me that maybe it's the same thing I think about death. People should think about what do I want? And uh, we talked a little bit, we're into cycling. And it's, you have to go out and get what you want. You have to tell people what you want. So you have to think about what it is you want to do and start working on it. And maybe you want to volunteer a before you jump into a big project or you want to just look at YouTube videos of whatever the thing that you think you might like to do. Uh, I think it's a, a great time uh, for most of us. Uh, my girlfriends and I, we, we've been friends for a long time. So I'm 60 and per, to be perfectly honest, the next book I'm writing is about sex after 60 and a great goal would be to rekindle your intimacy with whoever your partner is. So just think about whatever your goal is. It doesn't have to be uh, traveling around the world. It doesn't have to be learning a new language. It can be something right at home that's really meaningful. Well, I definitely want to talk to you when that book comes out as well, because as you know, that's one of the things that we discuss on this show, usually not with the retirees themselves, but usually with, with therapists. So thank you very much for that. Um, now, you've met a lot of people. You've met a lot of people who were retired. 
Um, usually though, you're meeting them when they're at the end stages of their life, um, in your past history, but I'm assuming that you have friends that are retired. And so the next question is, let's say you have a friend and that friend feels stuck in their retirement. Maybe they didn't do what you did, which is you've started a, an activity of bicycling. Um, but let's say they're not into that. How, what would you, what advice would you give to somebody who feels stuck in their retirement right now in order for them to get unstuck? I would really, uh, focus, help them focus on how absolutely precious life is and it's not going to go on forever. And it's, great, I think, for someone who's stuck to help them identify people that they admire. And what is it about those people that they admire? And is this precious life that you have left, um, is it going to be spent sitting on the couch? Or are there some interesting things you might be able to do that you're interested in doing? For some people, it's in, I have many friends who were stuck badly when they first retired. And it was really surprising to me because many of them were very active in their work life. And I think part of being stuck might be being physically, mentally, spiritually exhausted from years and years of work, especially in this crazy world that we have right now. So maybe those six months are more of a restorative time. And also you've mentioned on other podcasts how things go pretty well the first six months and then then what? Uh, so I, I think really understanding the preciousness of life and the impact that that person has on the people around them is a great starting place for helping people get unstuck. Great advice. Thank you so very much. Now, how can people reach you in case they have questions about the Silver Hour or anything else that we've talked about today? Um, thank you for that. You can contact me via silverhour.info. And it's important to note that the extension is .info and not .net. Uh, because evidently the silver hour is a mining term. So oh, somebody owns the silver hour, but it's just parking the URL and nobody can use it. But silverhour.info, it'll come right up. A lot of my work, like I said, is free and online. Also in my contact information, I gave you my Google voice number. So anyone can call me directly from that number. Very, very, I'm very easy to get a hold of. Do you want to give that number out or do you want to keep that? just between us. Uh, it's on the email that I sent you. So you can. Okay. Yeah. I, do you want me to say it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. That phone number is 951-534-9014. And then what about email? Are you on Twitter? Yes. Any, uh-huh. any other I, ways? I'm on Twitter and Pinterest at Dr. M Stoner. So D-R-M-S-T-O-N-E-R. And then nurse stoner at gmail.com would be great. You'll, you'll definitely get me. Wonderful. Well, Marilyn, thank you so much for being on the show today. You've, this is definitely a subject that is a little touchy for some people, but so glad that you came on and enlightened us for my listeners. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Rocky Retirement. I know that this subject is not something that most of us want to think about, but it is so desperately needed. When I had 1,400 financial planning clients, 
over and over again, I saw somebody died and then the person who was left was left with a big mess. So we put together today's freebie called the five things you can do now to help your loved ones after you've passed away. I know that you don't want to think about your own death, but this is so desperately needed. It will just take you a few minutes. So please go to the website and download this freebie. You will be giving your loved ones a gift of love. You can find the freebie at rockyourretirement.com slash love gift. Next week, we have a very special guest for you. It's Joyce Richmond. And she's going to be talking about what executives need to know when they retire. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're not an executive that you shouldn't listen to the show. You should. But if you know an executive, this is the show to let them listen to. So we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Thanks for listening to the Rock Your Retirement show. If you are rocking your retirement or know someone who would make a great guest on our show, please send us an email at podcast at rockyourretirement.com. You've pre-planned for marriage, children, college, your financial portfolio, your estate, but have you pre-planned for the one thing in life that is certain? Burial is a traditional choice for many families in celebrating a life that has been lived. But planning ahead, you can protect against inflation, prevent overspending at the time of need, and spare your loved ones the financial burden that can often be associated when a friend or family member passes. Take the steps to pre-plan today by calling Samantha Betton, 619-913-3834. Serving all of San Diego County, call 619-913-3834. Pre-planning. You know you need it.